welcome to Is It My ADHD, the podcast about what it really feels like to have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. I'm Grace Timothy and I'm a writer and I wasn't diagnosed with ADHD until I was 37. I'd struggled with traits I now know to be ADHD all my life, but it wasn't until a routine hearing appointment with a doctor who happened to have ADHD himself that these traits were pieced together and it was suggested that I get referred for an assessment. Had it not been for that random moment with an audiologist, I'd still be undiagnosed now and still struggling, just like the two million women thought to have undiagnosed ADHD in the UK today. I want to better understand what ADHD feels like for women and non-binary people, in whom ADHD is so often missed, thanks to the fact that the diagnostic criteria and research is all heavily skewed to the white male case study. I've therefore spoken to some incredible women about how ADHD affects their lives, exploring everything from friendship and work to dating and self-esteem. I've also pulled in some experts along the way to help us tackle the big questions from you and from my guests. Is it my ADHD when I ghost old friends, for example? Is it my ADHD when I break the photocopier at work? And is it my ADHD when I share nudes on Instagram? My hope is that we can spread awareness of ADHD in women and non-binary people and that you'll find some comfort in knowing you're far from being alone. Because with the right support, we can be truly amazing. Today we're exploring late diagnosis and what happens next with Penny Jarrett, aka Penny Bell, who was diagnosed in 2017 and now offers coaching and mentoring to people with ADHD. I get a lot of messages about late diagnosis. How does it work and what does it feel like afterwards? I went in just wanting some answers around my past. Is it why I've always behaved in certain ways? Had it really been anxiety or was there something else at the root of my mental health issues? But what I hadn't considered is what I wanted to do next or how the diagnosis might impact my future. At first, I found myself full of grief because I wasn't able to change. No amount of CBT or counselling was going to conquer what I thought was anxiety. I was stuck with this brain that didn't always run how I'd like it to. I was sad for my kid having to compensate for a parent who would inevitably make so many mistakes. I even went through a patch where I was too afraid to talk about it or write because surely it would all go wrong. I am okay. I am managing well at the moment and acknowledge that adjustments to life and work have helped me massively. But I hate that the options are so limited if you don't fund meds and treatment for yourself. I'm also still at the very beginning of my journey with ADHD. So today, Penny is here to talk through her experience since being diagnosed in 2017. Penny is a mental health and wellbeing coach who offers a series of ADHD-specific sessions online. She is also a writer, mentor and speaker, a big voice in the ADHD community, and she's all about busting the myths of ADHD and helping people better understand what it's all about. Penny, hello and welcome. Hi, thank you for a lovely intro. (laughs) It's so nice to have you. So basically, when I look at your content and things, I think, oh, she's been in this sphere forever. This is where she's always meant to have been. But you weren't involved in the mental health sphere at all, were you, before your diagnosis? Not at all. I didn't even know anything about mental health before my diagnosis, which it shocks me. Like I was 30 years old. I was going through so many changes. I felt like I was at the peak of maturity, which is hilarious because when I look back, I was (laughs) just a baby. And I had been through a lot in my childhood, my teenhood, and my, you know, young adulthood. And I knew that I wanted to write about it. I knew I wanted to help people. I had 
found books in the past that had saved and changed my life. And I knew that I wanted to have a similar impact on people struggling. So I went to uni to study professional and creative writing, but in great ADHD fashion, couldn't focus for more than two days, even though I loved it. I did love my course. I loved everything about it. And so with everything that I had experienced and the way that I was able to put my odd behavior down to a lot of trauma and I was able to kind of hide and brush a lot of my trauma out the way, I felt I was pretty skilled for a young adult, you know. So when I found out at 30 that I was actually struggling with, hence being diagnosed with mental health conditions and brain disorders, because that's what I was told ADHD was during my diagnosis, excuse the pun, but it blew my mind because I didn't have a clue that some of these physical experiences, sorry, that I went through on an almost day-to-day basis were anxiety. I didn't know there were all these words that people resonated with. I didn't know anything like that. I, I genuinely thought people who struggled with their mental health are dangerous and you know, you can tell when you look at them. Had I have heard positive conversations, it might have twigged something that made me think, okay, so other people fail as much as me. Other people haven't got it together as well as me. And you can't tell. I I went through eating disorders. I I came from quite a dysfunctional home. I lost my mum to a drug overdose when I was a teenager. And these were all things that I knew other people needed support around. And I knew that I could be a voice for, but I was too ashamed to do it. I was too scared of really bearing my soul and my past and I was stuck when it came to what I knew I wanted to do which was to write and then it was when the diagnoses came in when I thought you know what forget my shame forget all these things I don't have to go deep into what I've been through because yes trauma played a massive part into why I struggle but I have a brain disorder that loads of other people have and they probably don't know either so let me just speak as loud as I can about it in hopes that other people get set free um, in a similar way that I did through knowing the truth. So that's kind of the lead up. But before that, I, I was stuck a bit. I think like so many of us are at that point. How did you come to your diagnosis? How did that come about? I I think the pivotal moment for me was standing in Primark with my friend, Primark, if you pronounce it like that, but I don't know who does. <laughs> and just realizing that I couldn't feel anything. And I said it to her, I said, I just feel blank. Like, I I think I was paranoid that I was bad company for her at the time. Being a person who's quite sensitive, quite in tune with feeling, you know, the other other people's feelings. And when I look back, I I feel I was depressed because I was constantly frustrating myself. Uh, One of the things that I know contributed to that feeling was just committing to things and having a desire to do things and writing lists and plans and feeling the energy of just glorious energy while doing it and knowing that it's meant to be, knowing that this is right. And then the next day just cannot even pick it up to do and knowing now like when that happens to me now I know what's happening I am a little bit more not stricter with myself but I give myself grace Mm. (laughs) grace Um, but I also give myself little deadlines and and little goals because I know that leave it to my own devices certain things will never get done Um, but then it was like 
I'm my own worst enemy. I don't I don't stick to anything that's good for me. I'm two people in one. One of them's amazing. The other one is a loser and the loser's winning. This is why a lot of people with ADHD struggle with depression because you're not who, you're not being who you are. Imagine all the ideas we have on a good day. Imagine all of the fire we have to and all the sensitivity we have for other people. And imagine that can't come out. And you've got the the tendency to overthink, to look down on yourself. Of course you're going to have symptoms of depression. And so I was just shattered. I was just completely knackered with feeling like that. And the highs were annoying me because I knew they would wear off. The good days were getting on my nerves because I felt like they were fake because the bad ones were just so strong and so destructive. One of the things that I said, which really shook me, was I said to her that I understood why people took their own lives. And I never had. I had been through things that you pray your daughter doesn't, you know, and I had never understood. And, and it was when I could understand why someone wouldn't want to be here anymore when I knew, okay, we better get this alarm because that is a thought that I'm not familiar with. And then I, I likened the up and downs to hormone problems based on somebody that I knew who was experiencing, um, that was going through menopause. Um, I, I realized that I, some of the things I said sounded similar to some of the things that she told me about. I, I got myself an appointment with a hormone someone who could help me with my hormones. And it just so happened that the person I spoke to who was hormone and nutrition, specialized in hormones and nutrition, had family members that had ADHD and said, go to your GP and get a referral to an ADHD specialist because I'm 97% sure you have severe ADHD. <laughs> and I was like, I was sitting there thinking, excuse me, I am not a little boy for one. <laughs> That's all I thought ADHD was, something that hyperactive little boys play up at school and, and they've got an attention-seeking disorder. That's what I thought it was. <laughs> That's exactly how I came to it as well. Like I saw a doctor about my hearing who was like, I've got ADHD, I think you have too. That's what worries me is that if we don't see those people who are not ADHD specialists because there aren't enough of those, are there? if we don't see those people who intuitively know for whatever reason, whether it's their own experience or family experience, then that's how it's always slipping through the net, isn't it? And that's why there are so many women and non-binary people who are just existing with no sense of what's going on. Yeah. It's nuts that you've had a very similar experience. I'm quite shocked. But it's true. I've spoken to countless women um, at the beginning. When I first started my blog, it was a blog that I begun sharing through. And I spoke to, in the space of three months, hundreds of women who resonated with every blog post, who were like torn between heartbreak and complete elation because, you know, it's making sense, but also why? Um, but also who had been taking anxiety and depression tablets for years. I am not, you know, we all love everyone <laughs> and especially the, the healthcare system. But um, there are a lot of professionals who do not have a clue about mental health. This is not judgment. This is experience. I've even gone to appointments knowing I had ADHD just for research, just to see what is said to me. It sounds like a little bit creepy to do, but that's the way I did my research. I wanted to find out why so many women get misdiagnosed and underdiagnosed and left to their own devices. 
I was on a um, radio show with a lady called Michelle Beckett once, and she said huge amounts of women are diagnosed after 40. And those women, 50% of them at the time, according to the research she was referring to, were diagnosed mm. after a suicide attempt. Mm. And it's because a lot of doctors don't believe women have ADHD. Or adults even. Exactly. I've genuinely spoken to general practitioners who have worked, you know, in their field for over 20 years. And that can also be the problem because of the stigma around it in the past. And I said, you know, I think I have ADHD and this is why. He said, there's no way you could have ADHD because first of all, you're a woman and you're an adult. Um, and then he said, this is what you could be struggling and this is why and I was like okay thank you goodbye you know just needed that for my TED talk see ya <laughs> that is genius but yeah when I got diagnosed I'd gone private just for the assessment and then I tried to switch back to NHS care so my GP is amazing didn't know anything about ADHD but did her research and was like I'll call you back when I've done some work on this and came back and was like yeah she was mega and she took my report to like CAMS basically so our, our trusts you know mental health team and I got a letter back from I think it was like you know, the assistant to the psychiatrist or something. Basically, she seems to have done pretty well in school. She's done all right with her career. So we suggest anti-anxiety meds. And my GP was like, I really, I don't even want to read this out to you, but this is what they're suggesting. And I'm so sorry because I understand that this isn't going to help you. It could do you harm going on anti-anxiety meds because obviously they can exacerbate symptoms. And I don't know what to do for you because essentially a controlled drug, which is what I'd been prescribed by my psychiatrist, is going to cost more. It, you're going to have to go under a psychiatrist. You, you're on their caseload. It's much easier for them to say, right, the GP will be in charge of you. She will prescribe anti-anxiety and she will kind of police that and monitor you. It really showed to me the for the first time, not only is that provision not there for you to seek a diagnosis in a straightforward and timely way but even if you get it the provisions aren't necessarily there for you to then sort of thrive do you know what I mean and I and I'm I was gutted because I really want to I really would like to try the meds and I've got so many friends for whom it's been life-changing and I know it's also a bit of a postcode lottery so hopefully lots of people listening won't have that experience because they'll be in different trusts where it doesn't you know operate in the same way when you had your diagnosis, what was the next step? So if you were switching back to the NHS, what kind of happened next? Yeah, so I, I did switch back. So I did go to my GP and ask them to refer me to an ADHD specialist like the first guy had told me to. Yeah, it took about six months wow. to get referred to clinic in Harrow. And then after doing a lot of research, after literally just breaking down all the symptoms and traits that I struggled with, um, also celebrated the ones that I was proud of, I realized that it's CBT that I want. I, I didn't want to even contemplate medication because, again, stigma. It wasn't until I spoke to a friend of mine that I started to have a positive outlook on possibly trying it because I just thought if I took medication, all the good sides might get numbed as well as the bad sides. And plus, what can this medication do? If I break down what I go through, what can a medication do to sort out all of these? But yeah, so I, I, I figured out ways to manage my symptoms without medication um, and I was doing that very successfully for a little while. It was great to feel great. But then I went through a traumatic time. There were a few 
hard things going on around me in my community and in my personal life. And out of nowhere, I just realized that all of these lovely kind of coping mechanisms that I had put in place for myself, I couldn't be bothered to to do it. And because of all my research previously, I knew that I was falling into a depression. And so it was then that I thought, you know, I want to get back to where I was. So maybe I can try medication for a little while. Maybe it can get me back there. I, I got prescribed two different types of medication to try. And one was Concerta or Concerta. And then the other one was Elvan's. I think that's the thing. My my psychiatrist said the same thing. He he kind of ended the assessment with, and I'm going to prescribe, you know, however many megs of Elvans, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, no, I'm literally here because I want to make sense of what's happened before. And I feel like you're going to give me a big answer that's going to be like, right, so I'm not an arsehole. You know, I'm not on self-destruct as so many people have told me in the past. It is just, you know, the, the way that I function. So how dare you? say that I need, you know, to be a normal person in, you know, quote marks. And it, like you say, it's when you talk to other people and you think, oh, I want that. I want to be like that. I want a slice of that peace, maybe sometimes, or focus or whatever it is that, or the levelling, just to not be quite so extreme. I'm so excited to announce that this podcast is sponsored by the first makeup brand I ever bought as a teenager, Benefit Cosmetics. I saved up for Benetint for weeks, and that love remained strong when I became a beauty editor years later. Roller Lash is my absolute favourite mascara of all time. Gimme Brow Plus and Precisely My Brow are my go-to brow products, and I still use Benetint on the daily. Makeup is something I reach for to give myself a moment to ground, to breathe and be in my own thoughts for a minute, just like my own personal form of meditation that happens to help make me feel fierce. Benefit has remained a mainstay in my own routine for more reasons than one. I love the way Benefit connects customers with amazing causes and today is amplifying various voices around neurodivergence. I'll be working with Benefit, not just on the podcast, but they've also asked me to explore how the Benefit counter experience can be more accessible to those with brains a bit like mine. I'll be sharing the ways we're working together and would love to hear your thoughts on this too. I still can't believe I'm launching Is It My ADHD with my OG beauty obsession at the heart. Well, so tell me about, obviously, you managed your ADHD in other ways as well as. So in terms of the research that you were doing and just understanding things better, but also like maybe support groups and stuff, what was the most helpful thing to you initially in helping you manage and move forward? The most helpful thing was reading blog posts by other people who had ADHD. They weren't necessarily people that were trying to help people with ADHD. It was just them venting. I loved them. I was able to see myself in others and I was able to hear people confidently explain experiences that one, I couldn't explain and two, I would never dare to because of shame. So it wasn't even like I'd try. And then secondly, changing what I ate. 
I looked up loads of different ADHD-friendly diets, meal plans, and all of this stuff. And so many of them had such different views for different valid reasons. Um, I looked deeper into it, and I realized that they are all valid for different reasons because we all have a different food identity. You can't tell one person to go plant-based and the other person to go protein-based and it to have the same effect on them because we've got different blood, we've got different DNA, we've got different bodies, minds, everything. So at the time, I thought, oh, someone's lying here. But then when I started to realize, no, food-based health is different for everyone. And the first thing I did was I challenged myself. I heard that it takes 21 days to make or break a habit. So I thought, probably never stuck to anything for 21 days in my life apart from breathing and waking up. So I'm going to (laughs) try. 21 days is not long. It's only three weeks. And so I did it. I went plant-based and cut out sugar and committed to three liters of water a day for 21 days. And it was like my body went into a reset. I felt wonderful. But when I started to incorporate meat back into my diet, one of the things that I didn't feel comfortable bringing back in was refined sugar. And so I cut out all sugar and I stuck to drinking water and I found teas that had different, you know, benefits, stuff like that. So that worked wonders for me. And I, you know, there's times now, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this like Dear Diary right now, but there are times now when I struggle and I think, Penny, you're sitting there struggling, but you've just eaten 25 Reese's peanut butter cups in the space of a minute. You need to chill out. And I'm like, for real, but I know what works, so I'll do it when I'm ready. Well, I mean, I just definitely regret the biscuits earlier now. But it's so true, isn't it? You know it. You know it. Of course you know it. But it's like, it's one of the hardest things because we use food to like punctuate so many things I don't know if this is like it for you but my routine has to it's bookended by food almost oh yeah but also we don't produce as much dopamine and you get a dopamine rush from food especially sugary foods there's times when I can be clearly dipping in dopamine starting to sink and I just think about what I'm going to eat and I get a, a little rush and it's not necessarily you know I used to think that people you know, the term comfort eating is when you, you know, you're curled up on a sofa, comfy with an ice cream tub, snuggled in like a jigsaw. And I started to realize on this journey to understanding my mental health and how closely connected food is to our complete well-being is that comfort eating is actually more serious. Some of us drop, like I drop at about four, all of the dopamines that I do have starts to run away I I start to just crash and so it's times like that when I will reach for food there's times where someone triggers me and I start to feel sad that I reach for food it's times when I'm tired and I reach for food it's not like oh let me do this to help it's just automatic this isn't about calories or anything like that this is about the come down that a person with ADHD has it is about going along for a few days fine and then having a day where you feel like well, I used to describe it as ADHD's winning. Like I can't think, just nothing's working. And I find that usually happens after I've eaten too much sugar, simple. And so the other day I was, you know, winding down a bit, had a great day and I started to crave wine. And that's like, I guess, you know, don't judge me, but my sugar of choice sometimes because I like a glass of red wine here and there. And so I'd kind of, you know, got the, the Reese's, 
peanut butter cups out. Well, finished them all quickly so I could get them out. <laughs> and then I was I was just getting ready to start cooking, and I it was an it was an embarrassing thought at the time. I was just like, I really feel like I need a glass of wine. And now I I know it was a craving. And so what I would normally do when I have that feeling before cooking is, oh, you know what, I'll get a bottle of wine, I'll have a glass while I'm cooking, and I'll have a glass while I'm eating and do the same tomorrow. But what I did that day is I went and had a mango. I chopped a mango up and ate that. And lo and behold, it was sugar I was craving, not wine. A lot of the time with people who have impulsive behavior, hashtag ADHD gang, you're not like frantic. When people say, oh, I struggle with my impulses, we're not running around like, oh, let me do that because I just thought of it for a second. It's I am craving wine. So I'm going to walk to the shop and get some. Even though if it takes an hour, it's still impulsive because you're not sitting and thinking, what are you actually craving? You're not sitting and thinking, it's a Tuesday and I've got to wake up at 5 a.m. tomorrow and I can do without having anxiety for the rest of this week. It's a lot more slow <laughs> and it's a lot more deliberate. It's like it's, it almost makes you feel like it's it's part of you. You know, it's something that you can't get a hold of because it doesn't feel frantic or wrong. And if my mind is trying to be strict and strong, it's going to say no when chocolate pops in and yes to wine. So... <laughs> That's blown my mind because actually it's about, do we differentiate between, do we, like if we have a craving for wine, we don't think, is this about the mango? Do you know what I mean? It's that, that wouldn't come into anyone's mind, would it? That has blown my mind. Also, how did you then move from, obviously you were blogging and I'm sure getting lots of engagement from people who wanted to sort of connect with you, but how did you then move on to coaching, you know, as a, as a full-time job? I did it as like a, something on the side whilst I was still working at my job. The July of 2019 is when I left my job. So I was doing everything after work or on, you know, on the side and I weren't actually coaching. I was um, doing more like paid writing and created some um, like mental wellness gifts and stuff like that on my Etsy store. And so on the side, I was doing stuff like that and being asked to speak at events. I then started doing group coaching that I used to do in the evenings. And then when a few of my group coaching Uh, members asked if I would coach them one-on-one I then decided to kind of just do a few more courses and it it wasn't beneficial for me to work where I was especially doing something else with a lot of my free time which meant I was like working two jobs and so yeah I just made a plan to try to get things set up so that I could leave my job and yeah it all started from doing group coaching in terms of, you know, if if we've got someone listening who thinks that they may have ADHD, what's your sort of first step for them to, to kind of getting assessment, getting help, you know, forming a community? Again, as I mentioned earlier, you, you could have a really blessed time going to your GP, you know, and it could all go really smooth. But if you are quite firm in saying that you want to be referred to an ADHD or autism specialist, because people who specialize in autism usually know, usually specialize in ADHD, but it's just not what they, what their title is. So I would say, yeah, go to your doctor and just ask for a referral. Just And I think also before doing that, and in the mean, you know, in the run up to getting those appointments, just research as much as you can, you know, reach out to people boldly, 
don't go down rabbit holes and, you know, overthink things and start, you know, looking down on yourself. Just look at the things that you struggle with. Look at the reasons why you think you have ADHD and dig a bit deeper into those. One of the things that I, uh, when I went through that time um, that I mentioned where I couldn't manage my ADHD anymore, I went through a very dark patch and I've never felt that low before. And I guess seeing myself feeling so good after managing, you know, ADHD deliberately, getting a grip on my life for the first time in ever, not wanting to do that anymore, probably made that dark patch even darker. But what that led to, and this is very important to take on board and to understand before a diagnosis, during a diagnosis, if you're 10 years into managing ADHD, is I got diagnosed with CPTSD which is complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And it was understandable as to why that had finally come about. Um, And I say finally because at the time, the Grenfell fire had just happened and it was at the end of my road. And so it was a huge thing in our community. And, you know, we all knew people that had been directly impacted. And also a friend of mine, had got seriously hurt in an accident. And also just, you know, those were two of the major things that happened at the time, which I noticed hit me in a way that wasn't natural. It didn't feel like I was avoidant rather than the old me or or the me that I was familiar with would be very, how can I help? What can I do? You know, I'd had friends in hospital before and I was there every day. And I was trying and, you know, messaging and calling and, you know, similar things. I was like hands on and really in there. And these two things happened and I was devastated to the core, but I was very avoidant, very scared to talk to anyone about it. And and I didn't understand that. What I found out is that it had just knocked the edge off of everything that I had hidden. There does come a time when you have been hiding your pain when you have been covering up trauma with success, joy, friends, church, whatever it might be that works for you, whatever it might be that brings you genuine joy and helps you to forget the pain you've been through in the past. There comes a time when if you haven't had the right support and you haven't resolved or healed from some of those things, that one thing will happen, it will knock the edge off and it will all come tumbling out. It will happen if you haven't dealt with these things. It can happen at 30, 40, 60. I don't know when, but anything. It could be childhood trauma. It could be something that happened two years ago. It could be a breakup that you never, you know, you never recovered from, but you met someone quick and they loved you to life. It could be so many different things that you feel like you're over, which which is what happened to me. And really, it just all got stuffed into a jar that you put a lid on. And those two incidences, I realized, completely pushed that lid off. I disassociated. I mm. tapped out. I was just blank. And the reason I go into so much detail about that and about how important it is to address unresolved trauma, especially for people who have ADHD or who think they have ADHD, is because the symptoms are almost identical. Mm. So the symptoms of those who have had trauma suppressed you might have forgotten your trauma but your body and your brain doesn't and so after a while if you haven't made sense of certain traumatic devastating things that happened to you if you haven't healed the wound that those things cause and the void hasn't genuinely been filled with support encouragement you know different forms of therapy genuine love and acceptance from yourself and others then it will always be 
a ticking time bomb. And then you can't focus. You become anxious. You become depressed. You can't commit to things. You pick up self-sabotaging behaviors, which are identical to ADHD symptoms. So you either have double or you can get misdiagnosed. And so it's so important to know, so important to know. Some of us are having double the symptom power, <laughs> so I'm going to call it, because we've got unresolved trauma that is finally trickling out. Some of us aren't getting diagnosed with ADHD till we're in our 30s and 40s because it's actually trauma that, you, not something recently that happened, something from the age of 12 that has hidden well but it's been slowly coming up it's been showing up in your relationships but you pushed it back it's been showing up in your self-esteem but you've pushed it back and now you're at age 30 to 40 and you can't push it back you've got other responsibilities that are taking over the strength of pushing it back and it all comes out and it can look like ADHD or it can exaggerate your ADHD. So my first piece of advice for anybody who's struggling with their diagnosis, some people are managing it fine, thriving, but is check that stuff. You know, it's not easy. It's not always pain-free. You know, it's a, it's a journey. So once you embark on a journey to, you know, meet with your inner child or to meet with your inner teen or to go back to the breakup that broke your heart and to reaffirm yourself. And you could find that as you do that, your symptoms lessen and you need less support than you think, or you could find that they dissipate and it was actually trauma. So there, that's the main thing I would say. Um, but yeah, also ADHD specialist is the way forward. <laughs> I think that's what's interesting about like the trauma and I think it's the same with responsibility, whatever that means to you, isn't it? So my, my psychiatrist was very clear that the thing that worries him most about women in particular with, with ADHD is that they function and they function and they mask because of the societal expectations and they're amazing at it and they keep going, keep going. And then one day something is too much. And whether that's having a kid or even just he was sort of saying, you know, moving house or starting a new job or any of those things. But also we all carry a trauma, right? Like there is whatever, whether that's micro or macro trauma. So all of those things in combination, it's just that you can't cope anymore. You know, that's the worry is that we let women and non-binary people get to that point where they can't cope anymore. And then we take notes and that's the, well, that's what you're doing. That's what you're, you're kind of changing the game in that respect, because people will listen and hear it before they need to hear it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it'll all be exactly. all right. Oh, Penny, thank you so, so much. I can't tell you how amazing it is to hear your journey, but also how you've kind of channeled that into helping other people with ADHD. It's amazing. Thank you. And for what you're doing, because this is the kind of podcast I wish I heard back then. Oh, well, same. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> we now turn to an expert. Now I feel very lucky to welcome Dr. Joe Steer to the podcast. She is a chartered clinical psychologist working with children in Surrey and the author of Understanding ADHD in Girls and Women, which has become my Bible. The other co-occurring issue seems to be kind of trauma response. So is it my ADHD or is it a trauma response? So we know that trauma is usually as a result of exposure to a difficult um, life event or something very stressful that's happened in someone's life. And sometimes that can even happen when that person is in the womb, when they're a tiny baby and a fetus. So 
we know that the relationship between ADHD and trauma actually goes both ways. So what this means is that if you have ADHD, you are more likely to experience post-traumatic stress in your lifetime. And actually, you have an increased chance of having traumatic incidents happen in your lifetime. So whether they're road traffic accidents that perhaps happen as a result of impulsivity, or actually intimate partner violence is more common in women who have ADHD, those experiences are more likely. So adults with ADHD are more likely to experience that range of traumatic experiences. Also, some some children that I've met, when they talk about their experiences at school, it feels like school is actually a really unsafe place for some children and that that in itself can become quite traumatic for them. We definitely need more research in this area because I think clinicians and women themselves can get quite muddled up between trauma and and ADHD. And I think it's important to remember that actually it can be both. Similarly, the importance of understanding which helps with treatment, because actually if someone has untreated ADHD, if that ADHD is better managed, it will mean that they are better able to respond to their trauma treatment. So actually they will get better outcomes from their trauma treatment if their ADHD is is managed more effectively. When trauma happens, particularly in very early childhood or in pregnancy, it produces changes in the brain. And those changes are more likely to lead to inattention, restlessness and impulsivity. So actually early trauma does increase the risk of ADHD developing. But we do also know that not everyone with ADHD has experienced early trauma or any trauma in their lives. So it's not that trauma is the cause of ADHD, but it certainly can be a factor in it. Thank you so much for joining me and this community of amazing people. We'd love it if you could follow Is It My ADHD wherever you get your podcasts from. And now I'd love to hear from you. What other perspectives would you like to see explored in future episodes? Find me on Instagram at isitmyadhd to continue the conversation. Mm-hmm.